to tell you the truth, I would not build another round log log cabin. I'm really, really into very nice details and really nice trim. And so the um, round meets square phenomenon was extremely challenging for me. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 105 with Natalie Bogwalker. Today's interview is so chock full of great information that I don't even know where to start. Natalie is a pro at natural building, and we go into what is natural building, what are the various techniques, and really how to focus on practicality when it comes to natural building. Natalie also has a strong background in permaculture, and so I think this is the first time we've really talked about permaculture on the podcast, but I'm going to have Natalie explain what permaculture is and kind of get into how it intersects with the tiny house movement. Overall, I think today is all about learning how building a tiny house or really building anything is a gateway to empowerment. You know, once you build something small, you can build something bigger. And Natalie is the perfect guest to share this message through her amazing story. So I hope you stick around for that interview. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor today. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is brought to you by Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is my signature resource that helps you go from dream to plan to even building your tiny house. I'll tell you more about it after the show, but all you should know right now is that I'm offering 20% off for podcast listeners. Just head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY. I'm here with Natalie Bogwalker. Natalie teaches women's basic carpentry and tiny house building at her school, Wild Abundance, near Asheville, North Carolina. Natalie loves building and has done so since building birdhouses with her dad as a small child. She has a strong background in and also teaches permaculture and weaves permaculture principles as well as passion for using local materials and natural building into her work and classes. Empowering women to build for themselves is especially near and dear to Natalie's heart. Natalie Bogwalker, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, I love what you're doing. And you have such an amazing personal story that kind of led you up to all of this. Uh, we could probably spend the entire episode just kind of going <laughs> through it, but maybe you could, uh, you know, give us the, the Cliff Notes version, you know, like what led you to ultimately starting your own school, Wild Abundance? Well, it was never my intention to start my own school, because I really love teaching so much and kind of shy away from doing all the admin. But in order to do, um, in order to teach in the way that I want to teach and in order to um, be on the land and with the land in the way that I really enjoy doing, it just made the most sense to start my own school. But um, I, uh, 
you know, there's a, there's a long story that people can read about on my website, wildabundance.net if they want to. But basically I grew up in Washington state. I ended up in North Carolina through a very circuitous route that involved, um, squats in Barcelona and, um, bottle houses, Guatemala and all sorts of things. But I ended up in North Carolina living at um, a community that was really focused on primitive living. And we started all of our fires with friction and did all of our cooking on the open fire and built my first building that I ever built was actually a Catawba style bark lodge, bark long house. So that's kind of my, um, my background comes from um, much more primitive skills basis and um, learning from indigenous traditions all over the world. And then I lived in that for a while and it just got kind of old and buggy. And so I, I built my first straw clay cabin and I took, I um, took a bunch of natural building classes. I used to be a cook. And so I cooked in exchange for taking class. And, um, and then I was in these buildings working on mudding the walls. And I got a little frustrated because these classes mostly didn't cover carpentry. They didn't cover how to build a floor and how to build a roof and how to build the, um, the system that was holding up all of the clay that we were putting. And so, um, I got really excited about carpentry. And so I, my partner at the time was actually a carpenter. So I worked with him for some years and then I built my own straw clay cabin. And that was, I don't know, 14 years ago or something and built it and, you know, it was up on posts. And so there was a lot of carpentry involved. And then I worked doing carpentry. And then I ended up starting an event called the Firefly Gathering, which is teaches people different skills for living with the earth. Then I wanted to turn, take that and make it a more year-round thing. And so I started a school called Wild Abundance. And we got land nine years ago, or I, at the time, it was just me. I got land nine years ago. And then we've just grown and grown and the land had zero infrastructure. like, And so we had to build everything. And so while in some ways it started as a primitive skills and permaculture school, it kind of, the necessity to build buildings had me teaching several building classes and hiring really amazing mentors to be teaching those classes. And then eventually I was teaching them with them and the building part became one of the most popular parts. So at this point, this year, we're actually running six women's basic carpentry classes, two women's advanced carpentry classes. And then what almost sold out already, which is crazy because it's in August, is our tiny house and natural building class, which is a 10-day class. And so, yeah, I love building. I love doing trim. I love designing. I love like every aspect of building. And I'm into tiny houses and I'm also into not so tiny. So I, I actually live, my, my house that I live in now, which I'm in, is a log cabin and built with logs mostly from this land. And it is 12 feet by 16 feet. It's two stories. And, um, and since I had a child, we have now two very small additions. They're <laughs> very helpful. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I've started, and my first cabin was about 100 square feet. So I'm, I'm moving moving up a little bit and still staying very reasonable. Like I think 
800 square feet or less can be really great. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the way the space is laid out can make a huge difference uh, when it comes to adding humans. Yes. Yes. What, what happens in the 10 day tiny house class? Like what, what do students kind of accomplish throughout that, those 10 days? Well, it's really awesome class. And we've actually had a lot of our students who take that class go on to build themselves tiny houses or shelters. And um, so first they arrive and we do a little talk about tiny houses and natural building around the world. And then we do a tour of Wild Abundance and of our immediate neighborhood because there are so many examples of tiny houses on this land and also just our our nearest neighbors have because we cover tiny houses and natural buildings. So we go and check out an adobe structure. We check out a cob structure. We check out four tiny houses and um, a slip straw as well. So we're checking out a bunch of different natural buildings and several different tiny houses with all sorts of different floor plans and design. So that's the first day. And then the second day, we do more tours because for me, I think that actually seeing different examples of tiny houses is, is so inspiring for when you go to build your own tiny house that you can see what you like and what you don't like and whether you want to build a permanent one or a mobile one and this sort of thing. So we go and we check out even more tiny houses as well as lots of other natural building techniques, including hemp breed and, um, there's a lot. It's really cool. <laughs> and then we, um, so that's the first, the first day and a half because the first day is just a half day. And then we start with tiny house foundation. So during each course, we take about 30 students and we divide them into two groups. And one group works on a permanent build, a permanent tiny house build. And the other group works on a mobile tiny house build. And the first day of the class, we actually have people rotating through some different projects. One group does basic carpentry skills for those who haven't like taken our women's basic carpentry and who aren't familiar with using power tools in general. So they can choose to take that. And then we also rotate people through who are beginning and those who are more experienced with building the foundation of a permanent tiny house. And so we have, it's kind of like a cooking show where we have all the pieces ready to go so that which is quite the job to get those pieces together. But um, but we have all those pieces ready to go so that people can see all the steps and also get through all the different parts of the build within the tent acres. And so everyone gets to experience building a permanent foundation. And then the, I guess the fourth day, we divide into two groups and we start putting up walls and cutting or because we've already cut the pieces for one wall. So then we're putting up one wall on each structure while cutting the pieces for the second wall. And so that works awesome. And then, so we're cutting the walls, assembling the walls, sheathing the walls. And then the next day we're erecting those two load bearing walls and then starting to build the end walls. And, um, and we go like that. We continue on until um, the second to the last day. We tend to put on the roof and do some electrical and installing windows. And then the last day is set aside for design. So that's when students get to get to take what we've learned. And 
I like doing the design after we've done the build because then they kind of understand the repercussions of different um, design choices. And so that last day is for design for them to take home and, uh, and build their own. Nice. One of the things that, um, that caught my interest um, when you reached out about, you know, being on the show was talking about building a tiny house as a gateway to building empowerment. Um, and I was, I was wondering if you could say more, more about that, more about your philosophy on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that in this cult, this culture in which we live, like there's so much specialization and people like most people have zero idea how to grow their own. Some, some do, which is amazing, but most people have no idea how to build their own house or how to even fix a problem that's going on in their own house. And so I think that there's this level of abstraction where we all live within and that, you know, our ancestors in indigenous cultures, like, you know, people would specialize a little bit, like someone might be like the really good flint nap or the person who's really, really, really good at, um, at smoking salmon or whatever, but they all basically knew how to do the basics of how to survive. And that's something that we've gotten so far from. And I think that learning about how to meet your basic needs is so incredibly And there's something especially powerful about, like, it's one thing to learn how to cook an egg. Like my, one of my former partners, he like went to college and didn't know how to make himself an egg, which was just so crazy to me. But, um, but it's one thing to know how to cook an egg, but to erect a house is like a hugely empowering. And it's something that, you know, the vast majority of people in this country don't know how to do and have, I mean, YouTube videos and stuff are great, but you don't get the same instruction or understanding that you get from a hands-on thing. With this type of project, I think it's really, really important super helpful. And like the amount of time that someone would save of like just deciding to build their themselves the tiny house and coming and like starting from ground zero and trying to teach themselves all this stuff versus spending 10 days taking a class and the like like they leave the class and they're like, oh, yeah, I could do this. It's not intimidating in the way that it is when someone just starts. And yeah, I just really love to see people in the building classes, the women's carpentry too. I mean, the women's carpentry classes, people come here and they've like never touched a power tool often. And then they leave here competently using power tools to build themselves a project to take. And it's just, it really warms my heart. And so that's one of the reasons why I love teaching people so much. Yeah, there is something about, you know, creating a building that really gives you a lot of different skills that even if you're never going to build a house yourself, um, you can take, even if it's going to make a chicken coop or to build a shelf or just confidently hang something on the wall, even You've, you've gotten those basic skills. Yeah, it totally is. And also a lot of people come to these classes and they are maybe going to come up on some big building project and they might be hiring people to do it. But it's really different if you're hiring people to do it and you know the basics of what's going on. You feel much more confident and competent speaking with those builders and talking about your needs and knowing when someone might be trying to kind of pull one over on you. (laughs) 
<laughs> then, um, then if you don't have that. Yeah. So are the buildings you build during the tiny house class for the campus or are they for outside clients? So, um, we used to build buildings for the campus and now we have way more buildings than we could ever want. And so that's kind of how we started with the building school. But then, yeah, we have way more buildings than we want. And the, there's this idea that like, Oh, bring people to your, to your campus and, and get, have them pay you to build you things, which is, is kind of this ridiculous thing because the classes definitely leave lots and lots of unfinished projects and things done differently than I would do them myself. And so, um, and I'm just, it's just crazy trying to come up with all the projects and I appreciate it. And I appreciate all the buildings we have. And for, and at this point from now on, all of the tiny house builds are for other people. And so we build typically the, um, the permanent build gets built on a neighbor's land. So we have, we live in this really lovely community rich area. And so we will build um, we will build a building on a neighbor's land and then the mobile tiny house typically gets built here on site and then it goes away. And so that's really awesome. And we have different clients apply. We, we tend towards choosing people that are lower income for whom this is like a really hugely helpful thing. And, um, and yeah, it's really sweet. So there's, there's a lot of people in our community who now have a wild abundance built tiny house. Nice. Is the are the students involved in the design of the tiny house that they're building at all? The tiny house that they're building, we have the design already done because it's just logistically crazy for us to come up with the lumber list. And oftentimes, at least with the permanent build, we're using local lumber. And so we have to get that lumber like many months in advance in order for it to cure properly. And so we 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 design typically I design it with the client and then um and then the client brings the design to the group and then and we have plans and everyone like takes little pictures with their phones of the plans and so then we're we're able to um we're able to do make things run really smoothly that way, which differs from the yesterday. Well, I guess they have two different ways to do it. And then we do the design portion at the end of the class. Nice. I want to ask also about um, natural building. Um, yeah. Maybe you could talk a little bit about um, the structure that you're in right now. Yeah, totally. I'd love to. So natural building is one piece of this tiny house class that makes it really special. And I think um, the Wild Abundance tiny house class and the Yes Tomorrow tiny house class are the only ones that I know of that where the students is a longer class where they actually build the whole thing. You know, there's a lot of these like two day programs on how to build a tiny house. And I just think that people get so much more out of these longer programs. Um, and ours covers natural building as well. And so I, um, yeah, I have built a lot of natural buildings. This specific one is a round log, um, log cabin. And it's actually a Claire story. So the first floor is a log cabin. And then the second floor, I wish it was in a little better, uh, better cleanliness or I would like spin around, I guess. So, um, oh yeah, we have a couch under the stairs. It's very cool. And then the kitchen over here, and there's about to be a wood cook stove there. 
Nice. Just a regular soapstone sink. And I guess your viewers. But, yeah, no, only I get to see it. Okay. Well, I, I might be able to get you some pictures. Oh, I'd love um, to. Yeah. I can post yeah. them on the show notes page. Awesome. That'd yeah. be great. So, um, so this, I cut the logs mostly from this property and then let the logs cure um, for about, I think, two months. And I had them just um, to one end was on the ground and one end was up on a pole, this whole rig that I built. And so every day I turned them a little bit so they wouldn't end up drying saggy. And then I built the foundation and then we actually had a big log stacking party and there were like 14 people here. And the log stacking and notching only took two days. But there was a lot of preparation of harvesting all of the logs and then peeling all the logs went into it. And then we stacked all stacked all of the logs up. And then I built the second floor. I just built a stick frame on top of the log cabin. And that's where the Claire story is. And I insulated the second floor with wool wool insulation. This first floor, it's really surprising how well the log cabin performs as far as um, as far as heat loss. Like I'm pretty shocked. And I think it's because and this is a really old style log cabin. Like there's inside of the chinking, which is what happens in between the logs, there, um, there are just chunks of wood. And then on top of the chunks of wood, which the wood takes up space, but it also acts as a thermal, a thermal block because the cob that goes on top of the chunks of wood on both the inside and the outside is, um, is conductive. You know, it's a thermal mass instead of being an insulative material. And so that wood inside of there um, takes up space, which means that you have to mix up less cob, which is really good because mixing up cob is an incredible amount of work. People have no idea often fantasize about building cob homes. And, um, and so, yeah, so the chinking took like a lot of time. The, um, the putting the logs up didn't take that much time. Getting the logs out of the wood, peeling the logs, that took an incredible amount of time. And um, to tell you the truth, I would not build another round log log cabin because um, the bane, I'm, I'm really, uh, really into very nice details and really nice trim. And so the um, round meat square phenomenon was extremely challenging for me when dealing with the round logs. And so, so yeah, if I were to build another log cabin, I would probably get a sawmill out here and square off logs before I, before I stack them. But it's, um, it's worked great. And then I have an addition on this log cabin um, that I put on right before I had my daughter. I was actually putting up trim two days before she was born. And um, there's a few pieces of trim that have never made it on for that. And it's, um, the wall systems in that room are straw clay. And then I did another addition for my daughter's room. And that is just um, framed out with, with rough on two by sixes, which are, is all local wood, which is really awesome. And then I used um, rock wool insulation in the floor and wool insulation in the walls. And I used um, lath and old timey lime plaster on the side. Wow. That sounds really nice. And also a nice, like, display of several different natural building techniques all in one building kind of showing that you can mix and match yes 
Definitely. You totally can. And there's also some sculptural pop, which is the only way that I really like sculpture. And so when I'm, when we do tours, that's the only time each year we don't tour the cabin during the women's carpentry class. We tour the cabin during the tiny house class and it, it people get really excited, blown away just for that reason, like you're saying, mixing and matching. So I know that some building techniques, you know, I would imagine that building with logs on a tiny house on wheels wouldn't necessarily be practical or doable. But I'm curious, what are some places where you think that natural building techniques and movable homes kind of intersect nicely? Well, something we do a lot during the classes is we actually do earthen paint, which when you apply earthen paint to drywall or even in a mobile tiny house, I often like to use Luon as the interior paneling. And so we'll do Luon for the interior paneling. Then we'll paint the Luon with a primer that has sand in it to give it some texture for the earthen paint to grab onto. And then you do earthen paint on top of that. And so you basically have like a clay natural interior while not adding all of the weight that um, obviously this house being with all of this clay and all of these giant logs would not work like you're saying in a mobile structure. And so that's something that we address a lot during the class is like what make like why build mobile and why build permanent? And there's really good reasons for both. And with permanent, you can integrate more of the natural building tech. With mobile, you have a lot of options too, which are really awesome. And we also do a lot of, most of the mobile structures that we build are actually on skids and not on trailer. And so you kind of make your own trailer. Oftentimes, if you have someone who can weld well, they can hack apart an old mobile home trailer and size it for a tiny house. And then you can have a 10 foot wide tiny house instead of an eight foot wide or eight and a half foot wide tiny house, which makes a huge difference when you're living inside there to be able to have the extra foot and a half space. Like it, it sounds like it wouldn't make much difference, but it's huge. And so, um, so yeah, we tend to build the tiny houses we tend to build in the class that are mobile are 10 feet by 20 feet, which, um, which is really easy to, um, it's really easy to move that around in the state of North Carolina. Like it takes very little as far as paperwork or permits. But if you're going across state lines, then having the eight and a half foot width. Definitely. And I, I absolutely agree about that extra width. It, it seems to unlock a lot of different layout options that you don't get at, at eight and a half feet. Totally. And if you can go to 12 feet, oh my gosh, then you're really <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, I mean, you said you're in a 12 by 16, which is such a great size. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah. So I'm curious if you have any um, words of encouragement or tips for would-be future women carpenters. Um, I know there's, there's probably a lot of stigma ah. that women face when they embark on a building project just by nature of, well, the stigma about women builders. Um, so for somebody who maybe can't travel to North Carolina to attend one of your classes, which sound amazing, what do you have any advice? Well, I think one thing is trying to find a mentor who is not a sexist jerk is, is, is really helpful. <laughs> and that mentor may be a male. And, and I think that you know, one of the main teachers for the women's carpentry class is Baron Brown. And he 
is fabulous and probably even more patient than I am because patience, someone who's patient and not a sexister, um, because patience is just so important in a mentor. And I think also when I first got into building, I think I kind of overcompensated a little bit as far as like, there were so many times when I was told that I couldn't really do something, especially bike mechanics, actually because I was a woman and was kind of talked down to. And so I think I would react to that in the past by being cocky and like kind of being a know-it-all and like not accepting feedback. And I think that being really humble can, while it's really hard, especially when you're confronted by, um, by sexism, it's really opens the door to learning so much more if you're able to be really humble. And I think that, I think that as far as using YouTube, I think it totally is possible, but I think finding, finding a mentor is just so helpful. And there's so many people out there who know how. So if it's possible to find someone, and even, you know, when I first started building, I was really, really short on cash. And so I never hired people to help me. I would hire someone to be my teacher. And while we accomplished this or that task. And so I think you can hire someone who's pretty competent to be doing the double duty of getting a project done as well as teaching you. I think that would be extremely helpful. And there's also a lot of carpentry classes available. I mean, I, of course, think our women's carpentry class is way better than these. <laughs> but, um, but there are a lot of community colleges that offer woodworking classes that I think do. What, what's like a first project that you cover in the women's carpentry women's carpentry class that that is a kind of gateway or a good first carpentry project yeah that's a really good question so in the women's carpentry class we spend the first day doing tools like we just teach them tools the second day and third day we're doing design of their individual project and then we're going and picking up supplies and we're working on a bigger project on the land. And I think it's a good idea, even before you embark on your own individual woodworking project, to go and help someone with their deck, like put decking on their deck. Like it's helpful to just get lots of practice with making cuts and screwing boards. And so to me, that's the best first project is to help someone out. And then on the on the fourth day, people make their own project and their project we do bookshelves. We do spice shelves for people who flew in for the class. We do um, birdhouses. We do, I'm, I'm stretching my memory. I have a list of all of these things, but I'm having a tough time recalling them all. Some people That's have made okay. squatty potties before. Um, people have made compost toilet holders, bucket holders. Uh -huh. um, people have made little benches. A really popular project is actually a shoe shelf bench, which is really awesome and gets people to practice lots of different things. So I think basically some form of making um, a shelf, <laughs> whether that shelf is like a table or a bench or a bookshelf or a spice shelf. I think that shelves are just a really great. Huh. So this has been a really awesome conversation, I will say. I also wanted to ask, um, I want to kind of shift back to natural building. Um, 
And something that kind of caught my caught my ears watching the the video on wildabundance.net just kind of promoting the classes. Um and you talk about that there's a focus on practicality. Yes. And I wonder if you could say say more about kind of what you mean by that when it comes to natural building. Yeah, I'd love to. So a lot of people proclaim natural building is like one of the things that's going to save the world. And while I think natural building is really, really awesome, I do not think it is going to save the world. And one of the big reasons is people come in to the idea of natural building and think, great, this is like completely ecological and it is very inexpensive to build this way. Like this is definitely, I want to build a cob house. But it's the amount of labor that is involved and also the materials. Like it's interesting because like there was a time when like I'm really into the concept of vernacular architecture, which is where there is an architecture that develops with a particular culture in a particular place with the materials that are available in that particular place. And in this country, we have this idea of natural building. But the thing is, is there's so many different techniques that are more appropriate for different places. You know, whether you're in Vermont or North Carolina or Arizona, it's going to really vary what kind of building you should be building. And so as far as practicality goes, we really like to look at how much time it's going to take to build that building. Like, you know, putting together this this log cabin, like compared with if I would have just stick framed up the walls and insulated it, like it did cost less, but the amount of labor, like if I had been paying for that labor, it would have been an, an immense amount of money. Like on the initial build of this cabin, I only spent like $8,000, which is pretty awesome. But um, but had I been paying for labor, it would have been a completely different story. And so I think that I think that the practice with practicality, you know, there's a few different things going on. One is what materials are going to be most appropriate for the climate in which you live, and are those materials available where you like? If you're using natural building natural materials, does it make sense to import stuff from Germany to use? I don't really think so. And then how much time do you have? And I think that that is a really, really big factor. And that is why I tend to use a lot of these natural building features more as um, more as aesthetic elements um, than with the exception of straw clay or um, hempcrete. I really like those wall systems and I think they're really efficient. But as far as doing a cob wall, Adobe can be more efficient, but isn't really suited to this climate. So I think that I think that looking at the amount of time that you have is really important when evaluating whether natural building techniques are appropriate for you. And I think that uh, that also with that is if you are building a tiny house, how much space are you going to be taking up with your wall system? If you are building like a straw bale house and you're building a tiny house, like the proportion, and I do a whole talk about this during the tiny house class, but the proportion of your floor space that gets, or your, uh, your footprint that gets taken up just with the walls is massive. So, um, so yeah, we just go a lot into looking at the practicality of different natural building techniques in different situations. And I mean, this is all to say, like, I love natural building and I'm really into vernacular architecture that's like, you know, really, really place-based. 
And I also want to see people create doable projects for them that they can that they can complete. And a lot of that, I do some consultations. I'm kind of moving away from that, but I still do some. And a lot of it has to do with the specific family or person. And like, you know, I had one client who wanted to build a cob house on this piece of land that was 45 minutes from town. And his partner had to commute. And there wasn't really anyone in the area that was at all interested in what they were doing. Like he wouldn't have gotten any help. And um, I went down there to do a land consultation. and and, And they were really lonely. Like they didn't really really have much in common with their neighbors in like rural South Carolina. And, um, and so when I went down there to consult, I was like, you know, I'm really into Cobb. I think it's really cool, but I like to build Cobb oven and they're really great. (laughs) Building a Cobb house is so much work and you have two kids and like, you don't have time to do this. And, and so, um, I think that having, having outside parties really look at your ambition, outside parties who know like the scope of what you're talking about doing and evaluating whether it's really practical or not. Like I love having sounding boards, friends and family and teachers, mentors to like look at, is this something that is really feasible? Yeah, that's so important. Yeah. And even for, even for a simple, I say simple, a simple tiny house on wheels build. Yeah. You know, that could be a thousand hours of, of work. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, you know, you might be better off paying someone else to do that work. Yes. Yes. And someone who knows what they're doing or hiring someone to do it with you. Yeah. That's really, that's really what I kind of ended up doing myself. Um, uh-huh. I started my build by myself as a complete novice and had only like done the subfloor and framed a couple of walls that weren't yet standing in an entire summer and realized that I was never going to finish it. So I, I found an awesome builder mentor who basically worked with me one day a week, got me started on things. And it's like you really building a house is so empowering in that way that from, you know, at the start when you're like not good at just holding the impact driver in such an angle that it drives the screw all the way in without stripping it out yeah. to the end when you're installing window trim and like fussing over a 16th inch, you know, gap. It's just amazing how those skills really build on each other throughout, yeah. throughout the project. Yeah. It's nice that trim is the last part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think people would quit if they had to start doing trim from the beginning. Totally. Well, that's such a good idea. That's such a smart way to do it. And it sounds like your guide seems super useful. Yeah. I I think it is and it's been I just put out a second edition of it after after 4 years and it's you know it focuses on what my strengths are which are translating building and systems into into English for people so that they can uh, figure it out. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not a how to build book because frankly I agree with you that it's really hard to read a book on how to build and then do it. Yeah. There are there are much better books on how to build than I could ever write. So I focus on, you know, what are the systems that need to go into a tiny house? How do they impact your design? You know, what's the overall flow of the the process and, you know, how do you go about planning it? Totally. That yeah. makes a lot of And Sam Clark's book, the independent um I'm using the name right now, but 
we use that as a textbook for our class. I, I really, it's not specifically about tiny houses. It's just about building. Independent builder, Sam Clark. The independent builder. Yeah, it's so good. I really like that book. Nice. I've been meaning to check that book out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to use an asphalt shingle instead of metal roof, which I find really odd. But wait, say that again. <laughs> he uses asphalt shingles instead of metal roof, but huh. you know, everyone has their has their thing. Everyone has but their I, thing. I think the book is it's just such a nice step by step. And for friends and for students who have who have taken the class, I think it's really nice because it's like it's like they take the class and they learn all the stuff, but the book does a nice job of like giving them just a little refresher or to um, look at any details that they might have like brought. So. You know, somebody actually recommended a Sam Clark book to me when I was building that I actually picked up. It's called The Motion-Minded Kitchen. Oh. And it's it's out of print. You can still get it on Amazon for like six or seven bucks. Oh. And it's kind of dated, like, but he basically lays out how to build your own cabinets, like real I- rudimentary, easy cabinets. Um, what you know, wooden drawer slides, the whole nine, and it's it's uh-huh. a really cool book. Um, so cool. that's my my plug for okay. Sam Clark. Awesome. Yeah. 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 I'll check that out. Um, well, one thing that I like to ask all my guests, so perfect that we're talking about resources, is what are two or three resources that that you recommend to people who are embarking on on a tiny house journey? It could you know it could be books, it could be courses, it could be anything really. Well, I think. Um... The the independent builder by Sam Clark is is my go to, um, and then I think Wild Abundance is uh, Tiny House, the natural building course, and women's carpentry courses are awesome. And Yes Tomorrow, which I see you wearing Yes Tomorrow's t shirt, which is very cool. Da, 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 da. And um, yeah, Yes Tomorrow is an amazing school, and I really I really appreciate that. I've I've taken some. I just got out of a course actually up there because I'm trying to take classes because I teach classes for three quarters of the year. And it's really important to put myself into that student role. And so I took a, a class that was called design for net zero buildings. And that was a really cool class. And it got into a lot of building science and details of of these like super walls stuff, which I mean, it's super dorky and really, uh, really specific which is awesome and i think i think they also have a uh, a tiny house class which is which sounds really cool. so um so yeah i think taking courses um and reading books are are two things i'd recommend awesome well natalie bogwalker thank you so much for being a guest on the show this was a great conversation my pleasure thank you so much for creating this show and like offering it to all these people who are excited about building tiny houses and also giving them some like just reference of um of what it means because i think there's a lot of kind of misinformation about their out there like the build your tiny house for a hundred dollars <laughs> you know and um and i think it's really great that you're giving people solid information and and yeah thanks for what you're doing Thank you so much to Natalie Bogwalker for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes from today's episode, including links to all the great resources that Natalie shared, links to Wild Abundance, and lots of great photos at thetinyhouse.net slash 105. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 105.
Now I want to tell you a little bit more about our sponsor today, which is the guide Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is a comprehensive field guide to help aspiring tiny house builders make the right choices for their unique homes. In it, you go through the decisions that I made, what I ultimately decided for my own house and why, and how those decisions affected the overall project. I'll help you identify key choices and understand the relationships between them so you can plan your house effectively without spending countless hours researching. The guide has helped readers save hundreds or even thousands of dollars on their tiny houses by avoiding common mistakes. And most important, it will help you feel confident about the choices you're making because you'll know they're the right decisions for you. To learn more, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY when you check out for 20% off any package. Well, that's all for now. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.